you saved your money and now you planned on taking a vacation of a lifetime. You bought your tickets to the destination you're going. You've made your reservations at the hotels. You've got everything planned out. And you recognize that you're going to be in this location or somewhere on the way while you're going to have a Sunday morning. And so in your mind, we're going to find a good congregation that we're going to attend. And you walk in the door and everybody treats you very friendly. Everybody welcomes you in. And yet you look in the pulpit and you notice there's not one of these big wood metal stands that you stand behind, but just perhaps maybe a plexiglass stand there, or maybe no stand at all, maybe just a stool for someone to sit on. And you look around and you, you notice some things that do not look familiar to you. And then as the services began, instead of a song leader getting up to announce the number of a song, you see four, six, maybe eight people walk to the front, each of them taking a microphone. And then on the screen, there are the words to some song that perhaps you maybe never even heard. And you hear this group, and among the, the ones standing with a microphone are some women. You feel very uncomfortable because that doesn't appear to be right. And then when it comes time for the reader to read the scripture, lo and behold, a young lady walks to the podium and reads scripture. Now you know you, you really feel uncomfortable. And then the sermon is delivered, but it really doesn't sound much like a sermon. It sounds a little bit more like a pep talk. And when it comes time to extend the invitation, you don't really understand what it is that a person must do in order to become a Christian. It more appears to be, if you've got something you want to share, now's a good time to share it. Then when you expect the Lord's Supper to be put on a table or served from some direction, they announce that in the multipurpose room there will be a meal following services and you will be celebrating the Lord's Supper in the middle of a meal. And you would say, Tony, that doesn't happen. Oh, but it does. And is. And worse. You see, the problem is today that the Lord's church doesn't look like it did 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 40 years ago for some of us. You see, you can go to Nashville and some of the congregations where men like Brother Batsel Barrett Baxter preached on occasion, or Brother Carol Ellis, they now have men who are playing instruments of music in the middle of the worship service. And then you begin to ask the question, what has happened? What is the difference? What is the change? And you understand that the church has become very worldly because as people began to explain to you why they have changed this or that, is they would say, but you have to understand, our singing doesn't sound very good. To whom? To God or to us? 
And you have to understand that in order for us to attract a younger generation of people, we've got to make it more enjoyable for them. And they want to hear good music sung well. And they want a very trained speaker who is able to captivate their minds and their hearts and make them have a good week. And you know, when you look at the mega churches, the ones that are down the street that have 5,000 members, 10,000 members, maybe multiple campuses in which they meet. Oh, if we're going to grow like they grew, we're going to have to do what they did. And we're going to become a market-driven church, a worldly church. I'd suggest to you that the church is facing some perilous times. But those of us who want to do what God wants done, we want guidance. We want direction. And I'd suggest to you that 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, provides for us a real picture. In fact, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to look at four points from those first six verses. And we're going to see a contrast between a worldly church and a spiritual one. First of all, by seeing the difference between the carnal versus the spiritual. Then the immature versus the mature. Then a divided church versus a unified church. And then following the commandments of men versus the commandments of God. Let's begin. Let's look at verse 1 very carefully. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual people, but as to carnal. I couldn't speak to you like spiritual people. When you look at Corinth, they had become a worldly church. And there was a problem. Now, For just a moment, let me define some terms for you here because it's valuable to see. The term carnal is actually the same word that's translated flesh or fleshly. For instance, on your physical body, underneath the skin and the muscle or bones, that meaty part of your body is called the flesh. But it's also used sometimes in a metaphorical sense, a a symbolic way, to describe the material versus the spiritual. Let me give you a few examples to prove this to you. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11, Brethren or beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from the fleshly lust which war against the soul. He's describing things which our physical bodies desire versus what our spiritual inside needs. And he understands that they are in conflict with one another many times. But perhaps the best way I can illustrate it to you is a passage like Romans 15 and verse 27. You'll remember Paul had made a collection for the needy saints at Jerusalem. The brethren from whom he collected the money were Gentiles. The people to whom the money was going were Jews. And 
Paul recognized that to be a great thing because he says, It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things. Their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Really fleshly things. Carnal things. Worldly things. You see, we recognize the difference between our physical, fleshly blessings and our spiritual blessings. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, in verse 11, Paul would write, If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? And what he was saying by that is, if someone is preaching the gospel for you and you support him financially with money, material things, that that's okay. But you see the contrast, the, the physical, the material, the worldly things. But when he says, I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual people, he's talking about that which comes from God that transcends this physical world. Not only that transcends it, but outlasts it. You know, the Bible talks about where you can lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. He says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not consume and where thieves do not break through and steal. Romans 1 and verse 11. Paul says, for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift. That's something that's not a part of this fleshly world. It's something divinely given from God. In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 44, contrasting what's going to take place at the resurrection, he said, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there's a spiritual body. The physical body is subject to decay. The spiritual body is not. In 1 Peter 2 and verse 5, You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house. A spiritual house. We're talking about something that is not physical. The church at Bobby Branch is not the blocks, the wood, the the stone. It's the people. And it's not just the people's physical bodies. It's their souls that make up this congregation. And you say, well, why bring all that up? The church has become worldly. When it cares more for physical things than it does for spiritual things. The Lord's church has become worldly when we are more concerned with our physical meeting place than we are our eternal dwelling place. When we are more concerned with the way people feel about the here and the now than when they feel about the future of where they will spend eternity. There is a passage that Paul uses to the second letter to the Corinthians that I think illustrates this as well as anything. He said, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, Yet our inward man is being renewed day by day. 
For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. He's talking about the contrast between the physical and the spiritual. And the reason why churches become worldly is because they lose perspective of the physical versus the spiritual. Now let's look at verse 2. He's going to talk about the immature versus the mature. At the end of verse 1, he says, As unto babes in Christ. Verse 2 says, I fed you with milk, not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you're still not able. Milk and solid food. Milk versus meat. You know, as children are born into this world, they begin, they have to have the sustenance that their systems can handle. And all their systems can handle is the liquid, the milk. However, as a child grows and matures, pretty soon you begin to add soft foods that the the body can handle, can digest, And then by the time you get to be an adult, you can take a big old piece of beef and you can chew on it and you can digest it. You can have meat. Do you realize the Bible uses that kind of figure several times? In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, he says, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. You know, every time you have a a young man or a young woman or older man or old woman, for that matter, that becomes a Christian, one of the most important things is being sure that they get the understanding, being fed frequently the basic things of God's Word so they can grow. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, The Hebrew writer was writing about a man by the name of Melchizedek. He said in verse 11, Of whom I have many things to say and hard of interpretation. The reason why is the people to whom he was writing had not grown beyond that spiritual stage of being a baby. Here's the way he put it. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern between both good and evil. Here you have people that he is describing who have not put it to practice in their life. 
They've not grown as they ought to. And someone now needs to come back and teach them again the first principles. There's a lack of maturity. Not only is there a lack of maturity in the understanding, the digesting and ingesting of the Word of God, but there's also a lot of childishness. Someone says, what do you mean by childish? That's what Paul's describing in 1 Corinthians 3. People who have kept on their childish ways. I know every one of you have seen little children who have a toy, maybe two or three toys. And the parent says, okay, now share with your brother, share with your sister, share with your friend. No, it's mine. Childishness. When you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, Paul said, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. Understood as a child. I thought as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. The immaturity that exists sometimes between Christians is illustrated by the way they act so childish. When the church speaks, it ought to be speaking as 1 Peter 4 and verse 11 says. When you have churches where people do not know God's Word because God's Word is not being taught in the classrooms, because God's Word is not being preached from the pulpit, you have people then who have chosen to do whatever they want to do. Paul would say in Romans chapter 10, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. I'd suggest to you one reason why we have a worldly church is we have an immature church. In 1 Peter 4, verse 11, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anybody is going to preach a lesson in a pulpit that belongs to God, he needs to understand the admonition that Paul gave Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing in kingdom, preach the Word. Anytime if one is not declaring the Word of God, he is setting up a congregation to be immature. The third aspect of a worldly church is division versus unity. Look with me now at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3. Paul says, For you are still carnal, for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Notice that phrase, envy, strife, divisions. You see people who are envious of one another's position, one another's place. You see because of that, strife arises, divisions occur. But you see, if you base it upon what Paul had just previously said, if we all are going to preach God's word, not man's word, something else, God's word, you won't have that division. 
But I want to point out to you, Christians are not mere men. We're called to a higher level, a higher standard. I want you to listen to Luke 22, 24 through 26. Now there was a dispute among them as to which of them would be considered the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. But not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. Paul was trying to impress upon the people at Corinth what Jesus had tried to impress upon the apostles, and that is... That in God's kingdom, service is what counts. Not prominence, not position, not strife, not division. I think the way Paul used that phrase at the end of Ephesians 4 and verse 3, as is fitting for saints. How should Christians act? Not only in moral areas as he talks about in the first part of verse 3 here, but how should we act as Christians, as saints in the church? Should we be envious of one another? Should we have strife with one another? Should there be divisions? Obviously not. When the Lord's brother James wrote his general epistle, he addressed a number of practical areas. You know, what about the tongue? What about faith and works? You get to chapter 3 and he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by his conduct that his good conduct, that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist... Confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy, full of good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You see, as as you compare, verse 15, he says that this wisdom that has envy and self-seeking is earthly, worldly, sensual, and demonic. You have a worldly church when people are motivated by my own goals, my own will, my own desires. Now how is that manifesting itself in Corinth? It's when we start picking our favorites. You see, Paul's a good man. Apollos is a good man. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. And that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. For it's been declared to me concerning you, brethren, those of Chloe's household, that there's contentions among you. You see, the church is not all speaking the same thing. I can tell you when you go to one of these liberal churches, 
they celebrate diversity. They celebrate the fact that you can believe what you want to over here and I can believe what I want to over here. But you want to find a spiritual church. It's one that conforms to the Word of God and we all say the same thing. You want to find a worldly church. As a worldly church it says that you can do whatever you want to, believe whatever you want to. Division is from the devil. Unity is from God. In the book of Ephesians, Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy with the calling with which you were called, with all loneliness, gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul says, you were called by God to live a unified life. What do you mean by that, Lord? There's one body. And one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is above all, through all, and in you all. Those seven essential, unequivocal items that he has placed here. In John 17, verses 20 and 21, right before Jesus is going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane to suffer and the garden, and to be arrested, and then ultimately crucified, he prayed a very important prayer. He says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Jesus was praying that those who believe in him would be unified as one. Now let's look at the final part of it. Following the commandments of men versus following the commandments of God. Look with me at verses 4 through 7. For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Do you see the contrast between Paul and Apollos and God? You see, Paul and Paulus are good men, but they're not God. Never should any man who delivers God's message be viewed as anything above a messenger. It is God's word that makes it authoritative. Judges 8 and verse 23, Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. In Revelation 22 and verse 9, John had been astounded by the revelation that had been given to him, the visions that he had seen. And he said to me, See that you do not do that, for I am one of your fellow servants of the brethren the prophets and of those who keep the words of this book, worship God. John said, I fell down at his feet. And he said, Get up. You don't do that. Only God is worthy of our worship and our devotion and listening to his word. 
And you see, at some point, everyone has to choose. Am I going to follow God or am I going to follow man? Because sooner or later, man will tell you to do something different than what God tells you to do. In Acts 5, verse 29, we ought to obey God rather than men. Matthew 6, verse 24, Jesus said, No man can serve two masters. You can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve God and man. Churches that follow men are worldly churches. Last Sunday evening we talked about cultism. And one of the things we talked about was a person rising up with a charismatic personality that people just all thought he was so great. Hosea 5 verse 11. Ephraim is oppressed and broken in judgment because he willingly followed a human precept. He willingly followed man's commands. Well, let's bring all this together. Worldly churches are those who love God less than they love this world. See, I turned that around because so many times people will say, I love God, I'm here, I'm willing to give, I'm willing to do, but they really love something else. They love the flesh more than they love God. In 1 John chapter 2, Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world is passing the way and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Romans 8 and verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. I want to end with four verses from the book of Colossians. By the way, I'll tell you while we end with these that this is going to be really the, the theme of next year's summer series. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above and not on the things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Folks, we don't want to be a worldly church. We want to be a spiritual church. One that is spiritual in mind, that is mature in our understanding, one that is unified in following God together, and we want to be one that makes sure that we are following the commandments of God rather than the commandments of men. We don't end the service, the lesson, without offering the Lord's invitation. Because in every assembly, practically there's always someone who needs to obey the gospel. You need to come to Jesus believing that he is and he is rewarded of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews 11 and verse 6. You need to come with a penitent heart that says, I'm sorry for what I have done 
Acts 17 and verse 30 says, The times of this ignorance God once overlooked, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent. With the desire to confess our Savior as Lord, Matthew 10, 32 and 33, and then to be baptized, to be immersed in water. And behind me is a baptistry. It's full. The water's in it. There's garments ready. There's water there. What's hindering you from being baptized? Or as Acts twenty two sixteen says, why are you waiting? Be baptized. And if you're a child of God, you know that you need to live right. And we can pray with you and for you. Would you come while we stand and sing?